Uh, how are we doing? Are we doing well? Online, you doing well? Uh, we are wrapping up this series called The Gospel. And I just wanted to kind of put an end cap on that and just ask some questions this morning. First uh, Peter, uh, chapter 2, verse 12, says this. Live such good lives among the pagans, among the Gentiles, that though they accuse you of doing wrongdoing, of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify who? God. Live such good lives that people who aren't following Jesus will look at your life and even though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they'd look at your life and go, man, there is something about the way that they're living that points me to Jesus. There is something about the way that they're living that is different than anybody else that I see. There is something going on in their life that is making me curious. There's something going on in their life, not just their social media posts, not just their TikToks or their Snapchats or whatever you use, not just what you put out out there for like, it's all dressed up so people can see and go, wow, they're such a good person. No, like the day-to-day, as you live your life, there is something so profound, something so impactful, something so good that it causes people to look and go, I wonder what's going on there. Because they're... There's something different about the way that they're living that doesn't line up with everybody else. Now, in in Peter's case, he was writing to a church where they were living in the very real threat of being persecuted. And by being persecuted, I mean they were being arrested and they were being killed. Nero, the ruler at that time, was on a rampage to destroy Christians, to destroy the church. And so if people weren't Christians, they would accuse the Christians of doing something, which would in turn get them arrested, which would in turn get them killed for their faith. Many of us have no idea what this kind of persecution looks like. There's others in the world that very much know the realness of this kind of persecution. So this is the letter that, this is the context in which Peter is addressing. And even though, he's saying, even though your brothers and sisters, others in the church, you're seeing them be killed for what they believe, seeing them get dragged out of their homes, seeing them get accused of things that that they didn't do, even though that's the case. Live such good lives that even when you're accused, those on the outside are looking at your life going, man, there is something different about the way that they're living. There's something different about their source. You know what I mean? Like there's something different about how they carry themselves. There's something different in the way that they handle conflict. 
There's things that are different about what they post on social media. There's things that are different in the way they encounter and engage in conversations, especially ones where they don't agree with everything that's being talked about. Live such good lives. Now, if you've been in church any amount of time, you've probably heard this in one way or another, right? Like you hear it in Jesus' teaching, Sermon on the Mount. Live such good lives that when people see the way you live, they praise your Father in heaven. Like live in such a way that the way you're living points to Jesus. We've heard these sermons if you've been in church for any amount of time. If this is your first time, that's awesome. I'd like to know if this is the first time you've heard that. We've heard these messages. So what does it mean for us? Like for real. What does it mean? What does it mean for you? Does it mean like being nice to people? In like a casual way, way, you know, like be nice to your barista, be nice to the, the clerk at the grocery store, like be nice to your teacher, be nice to your roommates, be nice to your family members when you can. It'd be real, right? Sometimes the people we live with are awesome. Be nice to the people that we like. Does it mean like, oh, I go to church, so I'm a good person? Like generally, I'm nice to people. Like I smile every now and then. Is this what it means? Like to live such a good life? I would challenge us. Dig in. I think about it. If I'm going to live a life following Jesus that looks different than everyone else around me, what are the things that make up that life? That is the foundational question that you and I get to wrestle with. Because I hear all the time, what makes following Jesus different? Right? Like, like I see this person following Jesus and their life looks no different than my life. They're stressed out about the same things, anxious about the same things, spend money the same way, have just as many toys. Their house looks just like mine. Their car is better than mine. Their kitchen is amazing. What is it? Is it that, that, that someone would live generously? Be open-handed with what they have. Be good stewards of what God gives them and steward it out to the world. Is it that people would live generously? Excited and free to give. Is it, is it that the people wouldn't live in their insecurities? Or at least we would know how to work through our insecurities when they come up. Is it that people wouldn't live this fast-paced, 
hurried life, like they would look at, you would look at their life and go, man, there is just something so peaceful and calm about the way they live. They live, they live intentionally. They're, they're fully present. There is not this hurry. This like, I'm on the hamster wheel, keep running and running and running that, that marks their life. Is it that they love their neighbors? And not just, uh, I, I want to bake my neighbors cookies at Christmas type of thing. But like they actually love their neighbors, especially when there's not agreement over an issue or the way they're living their life. They love their neighbors with this ferocious love, a love that sacrifices, a love that is strong, that is unwavering, a love that confronts issues and fights through them to maintain a relationship on the other side. A love that stands up for others. Is that what Mark's following Jesus? Is it that they seem to have a foundation where they aren't looking to people or things for their worth and approval? Is it simply like treating people graciously? Is it leading with trust versus suspicion? Right? So, so somebody does something and your first reaction is to trust good intentions. To go, no, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to talk to you about this. I'm going to, we're going to have a conversation about this. I'm going to lead by trusting you and trusting your motives, trusting your intentions. Because we live in a world right now where it's mostly I'm leading with suspicion. You say this, you do this, this must mean all of these things and you're a horrible human. Is it that you aren't a consumer? But you live life as more of a contributor. See, it's easy to stand on the sidelines and just call out fouls and and stand on the sidelines and just consume the game, but it's a little, it's a different story to actually get in the game and play. So what is it for you? Like when you think about this, what for you would you do differently in your life so that those outside of it would see your life and it would point to Jesus? I think this is a question that we all need to wrestle with. I see as we talk about the gospel, uh, you and I play a fairly important role in the gospel. Like the gospel doesn't start with us, but we have a role to play in it. Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So first, full stop, let that sink in. Jesus goes, everything, all authority on heaven and earth is through Jesus, in Jesus. Let that sink in. Maybe some of you just need to stop there and think about that. Jesus is king. Jesus has all authority. 
Therefore, since that's the case, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you, and surely I am with you until the end of the age. As we follow Jesus, we are to go. We are to be a sent people. We are to be a people that gather together and follow Jesus and encourage one another and and lift each other up and teach each other and be this beautiful light in the world that is to go out into the world and show people who Jesus is. Now, most of us have probably probably been in the place where we look at people in the church and we see what absolutely not to do. We see people that are broken, are hurting, and then do things that hurt whole organizations, organizations of other people. Like we've seen people do horrible things in the church, right? Like we've seen where people look at the church and go, that's not pointing to Jesus, that's pointing somewhere else. And I think we can all acknowledge, yes, that's a reality. Like it's kind of part of the deal of following Jesus. The first thing you have to recognize is that you are a sinful person who struggles. So naturally, that is going to play itself out in community over time. But that doesn't change what we are called to. To go, to be sent, to live such good lives that others, when they see the way we live, even see the way we confess and repent, it points to Jesus. John 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So how do we do it? How do you do it? It probably looks a little different for most of us. There's some generalities that are Standard is part of following Jesus. But how do you live this out in your life? I was listening to a podcast uh, a while ago, and it talked about this reality that we live in, uh, where America, our culture, um, used to be more of a Christian culture. So culture would reflect more of Christian values. Uh, I kind of think of it as like, If you weren't in church on a Sunday morning, you knew you should be in church on a Sunday morning, right? Like, there were a lot of Christian values that were echoed in culture, and Christianity was kind of the dominant theme of culture, whether you were a Christian or not. And so there was this Christian culture that we all lived in for a long time. And increasingly, as we go, it's becoming more of a post-Christian culture, Uh, Canada, 
post-Christian culture, Europe, post-Christian culture, meaning the values and the way people are living their lives are, are no longer echoed with Christian values. This is where our world is right now, for sure where it's going. In this podcast, it was interesting because he was, they were talking about um, going, being sent, evangelizing. And they said there's a crucial difference between how you evangelize in a Christian culture as to a post-Christian culture. And they were talking about the missional movement in church, which was kind of like late 90s, 2000s. The push was, go be missional, be missional. Churches, be missional. Like, be on mission, which is a beautiful thing. But what they said in this podcast is that if you don't teach people how to follow Jesus with their lives before you send them out to be missionaries in a post-Christian culture, they will just end up looking just like the rest of the culture. In a Christian culture, you can kind of survive for a while. But you become complacent. And you become... You end up not really following Jesus at the end of the day in that culture. This culture, you become and look more like the culture than you do a follower of Jesus. So one of the things that, that, that I am passionate about and that we are passionate about a church as a church is how do we form and shape people and teach people how to follow Jesus with everything they have in their life and then go out and live such a good life that when others see you, they see Jesus. There's a book by uh, Pastor Rich Velotis. It's called The Deeply Formed Life. And he says this, anyone who belongs to Jesus is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We preached a sermon series about the Holy Spirit a little while back. Go find it if you missed it. But if anyone uh, that belongs to Jesus is indwelled by the Spirit, this indwelling life is not simply for the purpose of private, mystical experiences. It is also for the purposes of being shared with the world around us. Perhaps you look at your life and you think, I can never be like Jesus. I can't even find my Bible. My prayer life is inconsistent and I'm not even sure how to do it. And maybe it doesn't happen at all. I have many sins that need forgiving. Maybe I just became a Christian. So how can I be Jesus for another person? Deeply formed mission is first about who we are becoming before what we are doing. There's two dangers as we follow Jesus. That our life becomes doing without being. Being in Jesus, being in the Holy Spirit. Our life becomes being without doing. I mean, doing without being, or, guess what I'm going to say next, your life becomes about 
being without doing. See, when we're doing without being, we're liable to serve in order to gain approval of others. Lead to mask a deep insecurity. Volunteer to get God to love us more or give to get God to love us more and show us favor. Start new things to prove our worth. We overfunction and we don't give adequate space for our own health. Spiritual, physical, emotional. And sooner or later, the consequences of doing without being catch up to us, whether in form of sickness, resentment, duplicity, or fatigue. That's what happens when we do without being. See, you can't give what you haven't received. This message is all over Scripture. You can't give what you haven't received. And if you give what you haven't received, eventually the tank's going to run out. And it's going to crash. And it's going to burn. Or it's going to be met with this like, this isn't real. This isn't authentic. You're trying to be something that you're not. There is danger in doing without being. There's also danger to go the other way, the pendulum swing, being without doing. When you focus more on our spiritual life than anything else that is, that is lived within rather than our spiritual life that is actually lived in the real world, we end up having great church attendance, we, we end up maybe with a great prayer life, we end up being able to do a lot of devotionals during the week. And maybe, just maybe, we find a like-minded group of people that we get together and read scripture with that can affirm all our same views that we have. We probably have a good practice of reading some scripture. And while a major part of following Jesus is tending to our interior life, Mission is always formed in a place of being, and God calls us into mission. See, the the Bible offers a compelling vision for the mission of God, the mission of Jesus. Rich says this, God dances and invites people throughout history to move in accordance with his rhythm of love. We are called to go, to be sent, and to be the conduit in which heaven and earth touch. That's what we talked about last week. That's a huge part of the gospel. To witness heaven coming down and colliding with earth. See, if I'm stuck in just being, A, my being is probably pretty shallow because it's not balanced out with doing. And if I'm just worried about me in in my little relationship with Jesus in my home that doesn't ever go out, how does Jesus ever get to anybody else? 
how do, does this world ever look more like the kingdom of God? See, as we follow Jesus, our lives can't be just about doing because it's not sustainable. And the doing comes from, flows from the being. And we just can't live our lives in the being because then the work and mission of Jesus is never done here on earth. This is a commandment Go out and preach the gospel. Teach people. Baptize people. See, the gospel calls us and compels us to hold these two things together. Because our Christian lives as we follow Jesus, they are empty if we just have one of them. If we just do, it's empty. If all we do is be, it's empty. The gospel calls us to take the being and the doing and put them together so that your doing outflows from your being. So many of us are beginning a new uh, schedule, right? New school year. New classes, new rhythm. Kids are back in school. Uh, Maybe other things have changed in your life, but Generally, in September, there's a new vigor, a change in schedule, a change of the way life is going. So as we enter this season and live into some of those changes, what is your biggest area of growth? Is it doing or is it being? Most of us probably naturally bend towards one of those, either doing or being. So what's your biggest growth area? The being or doing? So the next step questions is this. What do people see about the way that you live? And here's something really, if you want to take this next level, go and ask somebody. And make sure it's not somebody who you know will give you the answer you want to hear. Like, don't ask the Christian friend that comes to church with you. Hey, what's it like to see me live? Like, what, what do you... What is it like? What do you see in my life? Maybe it's like, man, I don't, I don't know. They're, they're probably not really looking at you that much. Uh, they, they might just be like, I don't know. You seem like a cool person, but I don't, I don't really notice anything about your life. But it's an interesting challenge. Go and ask somebody, 
hey, what do you see in my life? Maybe if they're like, I don't know, you're just like everybody else. Maybe that might cause you to ask some questions. Maybe like, honestly, you're kind of a jerk. That should cause you to ask some questions. And and it'd be really interesting to get somebody to be really honest, right? What is it like to live on this side of me? Maybe you would ask somebody, a coworker or something, and they wouldn't even know that you follow Jesus. It's a very revealing question. And I'm going to do that this week, okay? I'm just going to like go up to somebody and say, hey, take away my whole pastor deal. Like when you see me live life, what do you see? And just start to reflect on that. And then the next question would be, What's the area of growth for me? We all have an area of growth here. It's either in the doing or it's in the being. Spend time, answer those two questions, and then you can worry about the rest. But once you get to the answer of those two questions, then you can start to come up with some sort of plan Like maybe I need to get involved with a ministry, a team, because really my life is all about being and I'm not really doing a whole lot. Maybe I need to really dig in and get involved with a ministry or maybe I need to be more intentional about praying for people to come and talk to me who don't know Jesus or maybe I need to to be more intentional about being generous to people or maybe I just need to like get away from social media because I can't control what these fingers type and it's not helpful for anybody. I've been there. It's okay. We can be honest. Or maybe you're more bent to doing, which I will give you a little clue. I would imagine, I almost guarantee all of us are more bent towards the doing rather than the being. So maybe you're looking and go, my, my being is really shallow. I don't have an intimate relationship with Jesus. I don't have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. I I don't really spend time to pray or just spend time in silence of letting Jesus speak to me, listening for the voice even when he's not speaking. Most of us are probably more inclined to the doing of just go, 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 go. If there's something wrong, I gotta fix it. What's your growth area? The doing or the being? We'll be offering things this fall in both of these areas. The doing and the being. Because both are absolutely crucial in us following Jesus. This morning we're going to, I invite you to participate in communion. And we have communion cups. If you have not gotten one, you can go in the back over here and they're right in the basket by the doorway. 
Uh, but this is uh, an all-in-one communion cup uh, during COVID times, and uh, you peel back the lid, and there is a uh, wafer in there, and then you can uh, take a shot of juice. But I want to invite us, as we prepare for communion, to really reflect on these questions. What do people see about the way that I'm living? And and what's my growth area, being or doing? See, communion is this time in which we celebrate and remember what Jesus has done. Paul says this, For I receive from the Lord what I deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back. So as we gather, we reflect. We are transformed by the Holy Spirit, by Jesus, to witness his kingdom here on earth until he returns. So I invite you, eat the bread when you, when you are ready and drink the cup when you are ready. Jesus, I pray that you lead us, that you guide us. Israel, we remember what you've done We ask that you open our eyes to what you are currently doing now and give us unshakable hope for what you will do in the future. Transform our hearts and our minds in your grace and mercy. Amen. Let's all stand together for one more song.